you're so selfish. I'm sure you've said those words at some point in your life. And I'm sure if, you've, if you're like me, you've had those words directed at you at some point in your life. That's what we saw in last week's sermon. We were reminded last week just how selfish we are, just how much we all want our own way, how our way, of course, is right, and our preferences about any situation is the best. You're so selfish. Those are words that God's law pronounces over us as sinners. And if we don't want to believe that truth about ourselves, if we refuse to believe the fact that we are, in fact, very selfish, if we just can't stomach what the law of God says about us, then maybe we'll believe the news. If the law can't convince you that you are extremely selfish, then maybe the newspapers can. Did you read the headlines over the past few weeks? Here's a sample to demonstrate just how self-centered we are. Headline number one. Selfies banned at Cannes Film Festival. Headline number two, banning selfies in museums. Good or selfish? Headline number three, selfie sticks banned at Coachella and Lollapalooza. Headline number four, selfie sticks banned at Kentucky Derby. Headline number five, city of Cape Town bans selfies at tourist hotspots. The last one, Apple bans selfie sticks from Worldwide Developers Conference 2015. And people struggle to believe and accept God's word, his law, when it says that we are so selfish. The news headlines are telling us that we are selfish. What's making the headlines these days? The fact that human beings are self-absorbed. That's the news And selfies are living proof that we are self-absorbed. You must take a lot of selfies because you guys look like, oh my goodness, you're going to read my mail today. (laughs) The look on your face is like, man, he's coming after me today. (laughs) Selfies are living proof that we are self-absorbed. Our problem of self-absorption has become so bad that everyone is banning selfies These days, the Cannes Film Festival, Coachella, Lollapalooza, the Kentucky Derby, the city of Cape Town, and Apple. Listen, when Apple is banning you from using your iPhone to take a selfie, to take a picture of yourself, then you know that the selfie apocalypse is officially upon us. Maybe the reason you guys look a little off. Maybe you don't know what a selfie is. In case you've lived under a rock for the last few years, let me explain the selfie phenomenon. A selfie is when you take your phone out and you, you hold it at arm's length, or if you're not satisfied with uh, how many people can get in the picture or how much of the background you want, and you can attach it to a selfie stick, which is a stick that holds your phone, so that you can take a picture of yourself and your friends and your surroundings. That's a selfie. Selfies are an indictment on just how self-absorbed we are. And people 
who tell me that they aren't a selfish sinner, I want to say to them, show me your social media pages. I will prove it to you that you are selfish. And not just selfish, I'll prove that you are madly in love with yourself. You don't make many friends when you say things like that. Now listen, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus this morning if you are a selfie junkie. I'm not against selfies. Go for it. I don't care. If your Instagram feed is clogged up with selfies of you, I'm not trying to make you feel bad this morning, okay? So you can just breathe. I'm just simply pointing out that we are extremely self-absorbed at this point in human history. The real problem, of course, is not that we are taking so many selfies, That's really not the problem that we must address. For us, the real problem is when we start taking selfies at church. That's when we have a problem. Things are bad when we start snapping selfies at church. Proof that the selfie apocalypse has come upon us is when we start taking selfies at church. But I'm not talking about taking actual selfies. So if you've taken a selfie here at church, again, I'm not coming at you. I'm not talking about taking an actual selfie at church. I don't care if you take a selfie here. The kind of church selfie that I'm talking about looks like this. Awesome sermon at Grace today. Click. Great lesson in Sunday school. I learned so much. Click. Excellent coffee at church today. Click. Sweet. I was running late and I still found a parking spot. Click. Incredible worship at church today. I felt the presence of the Lord. Click. That's what a church selfie looks like. It's when everything related to church revolves around you. And We've all been there, haven't we? None of us are immune from this. None of us are innocent in this matter. We've all at some point in our Christian life made church about us. And of course, we're not against any of the things that I mentioned. We're not against Sunday school. We're not against worship. And God knows we are not against coffee at this church. But church selfies are taken by Christians who are consumers. They make church all about us, all about our experience, all about our knowledge, our tastes, our preferences, our feelings, our thoughts. Church selfies happen in a church when we make church about us. Church selfies happen when we are consumers and we never give anything in return. Church selfies happen when we take and take and take and never give back, never serve, never sacrifice. Church selfies are all about self. Church selfies feed on grace, but never give grace away. Church selfies love and rejoice that God loves sinners, but never share that love with others. Church selfies are all about self. Church selfies hoard grace. And that is exactly why Peter has these words for us today. Don't hoard grace. Peter knows that the appropriate response to God's grace to us 
is to be so overwhelmed with that grace that we want to share that same grace with others. Peter knows that grace is meant to be given away, and that's why Peter keeps bringing up the gospel over and over again, because the gospel, and only the gospel, can empower us to love and serve other people. Seeing Jesus and relishing in his outrageous love for us is what motivates disciples to not hoard grace. Yes, guilt may motivate you for a short while, but the biblical model has always been that God's people are motivated to obey by God's grace and by God's grace alone. As Elise Fitzpatrick says, long-term Sustained, gospel-motivated obedience can come only from faith in what Jesus has already done, not fear of what we must do. Any obedience not grounded in or motivated by the gospel is unsustainable. No matter how hard you try, how radical you get, any engine that you're depending on for power to obey that is smaller than the gospel will conk out in due time. If you approach serving others and using your gifts to serve others for God's glory, but it's not rooted in the gospel, you will conk out. It's just a matter of time. You will not be able to pull it off in your own strength. And that's exactly Peter's point in the passage before us today because he knows we do this very thing. Peter knows we conk out all the time, don't we? Peter remind us today that we are called to share God's grace with others. We are called not to just be consumers of grace. We're called to give grace away and not hoard it. And when a church bans selfies, then something wonderful starts to happen. Grace is given away. And when that happens, God is glorified big time. Now turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and let me show you where I'm getting all of this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When a church body bans selfies, the kind of selfies that I just described, then hospitality starts to happen. And here Peter urges us to show hospitality without grumbling. I think Peter knows that this is a struggle for anyone who serves others. Peter knows that because we are sinners, we can even serve with good intentions and God-glorifying motivations, and we can still end up grumbling about it, can't we? And I love that Peter uses this particular word for grumbling. It's the Greek word gongousmon. Technically here in, in 1 Peter, it's gongousmu. It's a genitive, but I memorized it from Philippians 2.14 as gongousmon, so we're going to go with that. But doesn't that just sound like it should be the Greek word for grumbling? Gongousmon? I picture some guy... Grumbling back in the day, and when the Greeks needed to come up with the word for grumbling, then someone suggested, how about gungusmon? Sounds like a good word for grumbling, huh? And so when you grumbled back then, someone would say, hey, bro, stop that gungusmon. We've heard enough of your gungusmoning. 
So Peter tells us we need to cut out all of the gone goose moaning, especially when we are serving others and showing them hospitality. But doesn't it seem strange that we could or would grumble while showing hospitality? Doesn't that seem strange? It does seem strange, doesn't it? And then again, it doesn't seem strange. Yes, it sounds strange that we could want to bless others and be hospitable and grumble about it. That does seem strange, doesn't it? But it doesn't sound so strange and so far-fetched when you realize that we are selfish, self-absorbed sinners. And the proof of that is that sometimes we will volunteer to show hospitality to someone, and even in the middle of serving them, we will be tempted to grumble and complain. You've done this before, haven't you? Of course you have. You with good motives and God-glorifying intentions and wanting to bless someone, you agree to be hospitable, maybe make someone a dinner because there's been a crisis in their family, or just you just want to serve them and bless them. And maybe you forget about those plans, and then you remember at the last minute, and then you realize you got to make the dinner, and then you're out of certain ingredients for the dinner, so you have to run to the grocery store, and then your kids freak out and have a meltdown and start crying, and you get home, and then something else goes wrong, and then as you're preparing the meal, you do what? You start to grumble. Grumbling while showing hospitality. Have you ever done that? I think that's what Peter has in mind here. Or maybe you agree to let someone stay in your home with you for a while. And you start out with God-glorifying motives, and then after a few days, what Benjamin Franklin said becomes true. Guests, like fish, begin to smell after three days. And they start to get on your nerves. And they start to bother you. And you start whispering to your spouse in your bedroom because it's the only time you can talk. And you start going, I can't believe they, ever done that? Grumbling while showing hospitality. I think it's something like that that Peter has in mind here. Or maybe you sign up to serve in some ministry here at church, like like Awana or or serving in the youth group or, or coming and making coffee on Sunday mornings. And then when the time comes to serve and you think, I'm just so tired Does this even matter? Will it even make a difference? I don't want to do this. Why did I ever sign up to do this? And you struggle to recapture that passion that you once had when you signed up to serve in that ministry. Have you ever done that? Grumbling while showing hospitality. I think that's what Peter has in mind here. Peter is saying that when we are at that place We should stop the gone goose moaning. And the way we stop that is by rehearsing the gospel. We stop the gone goose moaning by remembering that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. We stop the gone goose moaning in those moments by remembering the words of Jesus that Paul quoted in Acts 20, 35. And you can't find this, these words of Jesus in the Gospels. It's only in Acts 20, 35 that we even know that Jesus said that. So you fight that desire to grumble while you're serving By remembering the words that Paul said to those Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 35, before he departed for Jerusalem, he said, in all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. The way you stop grumbling when you serve, the way you stop the gone goose moaning is by remembering that Jesus himself said that it was better to give than to receive, that there is more blessing in giving than in receiving. It's basically just rehearsing the gospel, which is what we talk about all the time here at Grace. And it looks like this when you don't want to serve. Jesus, help me. I'm tired. I don't want to serve in a wanna tonight or youth group, or I don't want to, have to get up and go make coffee for everyone at church. I don't want to serve in this capacity or in this position or in this ministry, whatever it is. I don't even know why I signed up for this, Jesus. You're sovereign. You know. I don't even know why I signed up for it. But I need your grace, Lord. Help me to remember that there is more blessing in giving, in giving away your grace than there is in just soaking it up and never serving. Help me to remember that you are glorified when I give grace away. Have you ever been in that place where you didn't want to serve? Where you wondered why you even signed up to serve in the first place? My experience in those times is that when I do go serve, I always leave being the one who was blessed by God. I always leave and I am glad that I could serve and go bless others and extend God's grace to others. It's in those times when we are tempted to grumble and not serve others, it's in those times that we need to be reminded, don't hoard grace. In those moments, we need to remember the outrageous grace that God has showered on us in Christ and then ask him to strengthen us to pass that very grace on to others. And that's exactly what Peter will say next. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When churches ban selfies, then we all start using our gifts to serve others, and that glorifies Jesus, and he is worthy of that. Sadly, many Christians are only consumers. We only come to church to get, but never to give. Now, please don't misunderstand me, because people misunderstand me all the time, and I understand. It makes sense in my head. It doesn't make so much sense when it comes out of my mouth. But up here, it's clear. So please don't misunderstand me. We believe you should come here to receive each week. We believe you should come here to get, to get refreshed by the gospel, to drink from the river of God's delight and to be satisfied in Jesus. We expect you to do that every week when you show up here. Yes, we want you to leave full of joy and rejoicing in God's outrageous love for you. Yes, we want you to leave here each week refreshed and loving Jesus more and delighted more and more in all that he has done for you, but we don't want it to end there. 
We want the good news of the gospel to get down into the nooks and crannies of your heart so that you are catapulted to go love and serve others. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying this, number one, God has gifted each believer with gifts. Number two, God has called each believer to use those gifts to serve others. And number three, God is glorified when we use our gifts to serve others. So Christian You have been gifted by God with certain gifts and you are called to use those gifts to serve others and glorify God. Now, if you don't know what your gifts are, then just ask someone. Ask someone who knows you. They will probably be able to tell you how you are gifted. They even have spiritual gifts tests that you can take to try to figure this out. The problem with those is that I think too long about the answers and I'm like, uh, you know, But take them if that helps you. Just find out what you love doing, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and then use that to bless and serve others. That's how you become a good steward of God's varied grace. You use your gifts to bless others. And so Peter summarizes these gifts under two headings here, just teaching and serving. I think Peter just means that some people God has gifted with the ability to teach his word and then other people serve in other capacities. And that's typically how it works in the church, isn't it? We have many teachers here whom God has clearly gifted and our teachers teach God's word in various classes and in different capacities. But there are some people who would die if they had to teach a class right? Some people would rather die than stand up in front of other people and teach them. Well, these people can serve in other areas. Peter's point here is not to get hung up on the details. He's just painting in broad strokes here. He's just saying, typically there's there's teaching gifts and these serving gifts. He just puts them under two headings and he says, whatever gift you have, wherever you fall, in one or both side, use your gifts to bless others and glorify God. And he says, if you teach, remember you are teaching the very oracles of God. And so don't approach this book lightly. That's probably the biggest temptation in teaching or preaching God's word is to lose one's awe of the fact that this is the word of the living God. Or to be lazy in preparation. Or if you serve, Peter says teaching or serving, whatever capacity, serve in a way that is in reliance upon God. Says, God, I can't do this unless you help me. So that you serve in the strength that God supplies and then he gets the glory. Or as I've heard John Piper say it numerous times, you get the grace, he gets the glory. You get the grace, you get the strength to serve and Jesus gets the glory as the giver of that strength. So when you don't want to serve for whatever reason or when you feel inadequate, you're in the perfect place, the perfect position to glorify God because in that moment you ask God, you remember all the grace that he has showered you with, that he's shown you in the gospel and you ask God to give you and supply you with the strength that you need in order to serve and use your gifts and then what happens, other people are blessed and God gets the glory. Are you scared to death to serve? That's an awesome place to be. You know why? It makes you realize how dependent you are on God. And then God gives you the grace and God gives you the strength and then who gets the glory? 
The next time you're scared to death to serve or the next time you don't want to serve, you are where you are supposed to be in utter reliance upon the God of the universe to give you the strength and the power and the grace to do what he's called you to do. So the next time you're scared to death, say, awesome, I'm scared to death. If you don't help me, this is gonna be a train wreck. And he will give you the grace and he will give you the strength and then he gets the glory big time. The next time you don't wanna serve, you are right where you are supposed to be because it's then you have to cry out to God and say, change my heart because I'm so selfish. I'd rather stay home and watch TV than go listen to kids read Bible verses. That's how messed up I am, God. Will you please help me and change my heart? That's the perfect place to be because you're in utter reliance upon God. You get the grace to serve. He gets the glory. You get the grace to serve and be a good steward of God's varied, multicolored grace is the word here. And then other people are blessed and God gets the glory. That's what Peter is saying in these verses. That's what churches look like when they ban selfies. People are served and Jesus gets the glory. And you know what, Grace? This is the verse that I pray for us every Sunday morning. I pray that everyone who serves here, teaching or in whatever capacity, that we would serve in the strength that God supplies so that he gets the glory. This is my Sunday morning prayer verse, every Sunday morning. And please let me take a moment in the sermon and say thank you to all of you who serve in whatever capacity here at Grace. Thank you. Thank you for using your gifts to serve us. We could not do it without you. Thank you for feeling desperate every Sunday morning and saying, God, I can't do it unless you help me. Some of you serve and you never hear thank you from anyone. You serve in ways that nobody sees. You serve behind the scenes, but you know what God sees. And I'm telling you right now that I am grateful for you. And I'm telling you right now that I thank God for you every Sunday morning. So thank you. Thank you for buying into our mission to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. And if you haven't bought into our mission here at Grace and you don't serve anywhere here, then let me challenge you today. Don't hoard grace. Don't be a consumer Christian. Don't just come for the sermon or the music and then leave. Get plugged in. We're a family. And you can get plugged in in at least two ways here. Number one, find a place or a ministry to serve in. Ask around. Just ask someone, I want to serve. Can you help me? People are not going to ignore you if you say that. You're going to be grabbed by the arm and say, come here, do this. Just, if you don't know, ask, say, help me. Email the church, call the church, ask somebody sitting next to you on the way out, can I serve? Where can I serve? Read the bulletin. We put needs in the bulletin. Just find a place to serve. Don't hoard grace. Be a steward of God's grace. And please, 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 don't just come for the music and the sermon and then leave. Serve somewhere. Listen, honestly, you can find better preaching and better music on the radio. I love our musicians, and I am thankful that they serve and use their gifts, but they make mistakes. Sometimes they hit bad notes, but not on the radio. 
The radio has better music because it's been produced and mixed well and there are no mistakes and then you can find the particular style of music that you like. And you can certainly get better preaching on the radio or on some podcast. So if you just come for the music or you just come for the sermon and then you leave, you're missing out on what's out there. It's better elsewhere. The airwaves offer so much better stuff than what we offer here on Sunday mornings. If you just come for the sermon and the music and then you rush out of here and you aren't connected with anyone, then you're just taking church selfies with your life. I don't want that for any of you. So find a place to serve here. Be a steward of the grace that you love so much. Listen, if everybody just served in one place here, one ministry in some way, whatever it would be, folding the bulletins on Friday morning, making coffee, sweeping, picking up trash, cleaning the restrooms, whatever, if everybody just served in one place, in one ministry, just did one thing. I mean, everybody just doing one thing, that's it. Some of you do five and 10 Thank God for you that you've picked up the slack. But if everybody just did one thing, then we'd end up being a church that banned selfies. If everybody just served in one ministry, in one place, they just did one thing, then we'd end up being a church that served in the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Just serve somewhere Use your gifts and extend God's grace to other people. The second way is be involved in making disciples. Our tagline around here is making disciple, making disciples. Making disciples who know how to go and make disciples, who know how to go and make disciples, and on and on it goes. If you aren't involved in any form of discipleship, to put it bluntly, Okay, and I'm gonna put a lot of pastoral love on top of this. Okay, I gotta picture a donut. Picture a very dense donut. That's the truth that I'm gonna drop on you. I'm gonna step on your toes with the dense part of this donut, but I'm gonna sprinkle it with a lot of pastoral love and care, okay? So I'm coming at you and tell you, I love you, I want the best for you, but, but you gotta hear the dense part. I gotta put it bluntly, but remember, I've sprinkled it with a lot of pastoral care and love, so save the emails, Okay? If you're not involved in any form of discipleship, sprinkle it with pastoral love, you're doing church wrong. You're going about church the wrong way. If you're not involved in any discipleship at all, you're going about Christianity the wrong way. Now, is that so hard to swallow? If you're not involved in some way with discipleship in your life, then you're just taking church selfies with your life. So get involved here. We have lots of ways for you to get involved. Get involved in a Sunday school class. You can leave from this sermon. Some of you plan to just leave when this service is over. You can go to a Sunday school class at 1030. You can be involved in discipleship there. You can get involved and jump into one of our Grace Seminary classes that are going on right now. After this class, Grace Seminary classes are available too. You can jump in on those classes. You can join a small group to be involved in discipleship. You could get together with just two or three people during the week and meet at Starbucks and you read through the Bible, you read through some good theological book and and you talk about the Lord and you encourage one another. You're involved in discipleship. 
Obviously, parents were involved in discipling our kids. That's 24-7. But disciple someone. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you should be discipling someone right now, investing in someone, or maybe being discipled by someone. Maybe you're a new believer. Find someone. Ask for help and say, teach me the basic truths of the Bible. I don't know. I've been taking selfies for three years as a Christian, and I don't know anything. Help me. Just get plugged into some form of relationships, some form of discipleship. It's what you were made for. But so many disciples aren't even involved in discipleship. That's strange, isn't it? A disciple who isn't involved in discipleship. Probably the number one problem facing Christianity today is that so many churches are made up of consumer Christians. People are only in it for themselves. They are only in it for what the church can give them. And they have no desire to serve or no desire to give back. And when these kinds of people make up our churches, then we become consumer churches. And honestly, we won't be around for very much long. You can't be a consumer church and and stay afloat and survive. You're always having to change, always having to offer people something. Listen, if we're a consumer church, I honestly think the Lord will just shut the doors down and let somebody else take over these buildings and this property and say, if you don't want to reach your city and your neighbors and be the people of God here in the city of God and work for Santa Maria and Orkut and the Central Coast, if we don't want to do that, I think God will shut the doors down. I'll give this building... It's the Lord's building. I'll give it to somebody else who will reach the city. We cannot be a consumer church and expect to be around for very long because no amount of infrastructure can sustain a church with a consumer mindset. No amount of staffing can sustain a church with a consumer mindset. It'll eventually crumble. And that's why we must hear these words from Greg Beal. The mark of the true church is to always be outward looking and expanding God's presence and not obsessively introspective. The mark of the true church is to always be outward looking and expanding God's presence in the city and in our neighborhoods and workplaces and not obsessively introspective. Too many churches, too many Christians are obsessively introspective. Too many churches and too many Christians are obsessed with themselves. We just sit around taking selfies. Awesome sermon at Grace today. Click. Great lesson in Sunday school. I learned so much. Click. Excellent coffee at church today. Click. Sweet. I was running late for church and I still found a parking spot. Click. Incredible worship at church today. I felt the presence of the Lord. Click. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for grace. I want us to be a church, to be a people, to be disciples who keep our eyes on Jesus. And then we go and serve others and we become good stewards of God's varied grace. Let's be a church that bans selfies. Let's be a church that is so overwhelmed that Jesus lived and died for us that we want to share that grace with everyone. Let's be a church that thinks like this. 
I can't believe the good news of the gospel. It's too good to be true. For reals? God loves me and sent his son to live and die for me. He forgives me of all my sins. He gives me the righteousness of Jesus. That's crazy. That's crazy good. That makes me want to love and serve others too. That makes me want to show grace to those who don't deserve it because that's exactly how Jesus treated me. Let's be a church like that. Let's be a church like some of our missionaries that we've sent out and got an email from Cheryl George this morning about Tim and Tiffany Lanier who are serving the Tanguat people and and starting today, they're starting like five or six days of Bible lessons with them, teaching them about Jesus. These are missionaries like all the missionaries that we serve. I'm just pointing them out because I got an email who are just giving their lives away. They love God's grace so much. They say, I gotta take it to these people who've never even heard it. We want to teach them about God. They don't even have a biblical worldview. We got to start at square one. Where do we get the Bible? What's God like? How did He create the world? We send missionaries out like this. Let's be a church that is reflective of the missionaries that we send out who say, you know, I want to give away the grace that I love so much. I'm hoping and praying for better days for us, grace. Better days of just laying down our lives and using our gifts to serve others. May the gospel today, may the grace of God get down into your pores this morning so that you go and give that grace away for God's glory. That's why we're here, to ignite a passion in every person, to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. We do it for God's glory Because he is worthy, as Peter tells us in verse 11. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 Father, your grace is amazing. It is so wonderful. It is so unbelievable. It's so unheard of. You give us what we don't deserve, forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Jesus to stand in your presence. You give us you, unmerited favor. We could never earn this grace, God. We could never be good enough. And you just give it freely and say, take it, enjoy it, lap it up, savor it. And we do that this morning, God, and we love it. Oh, we love it. We love to sing about your grace. But we love it so much, sometimes, Father, we become like a little kid who doesn't want to share their candy. And we just say, no, it's mine. You can't have any. It's mine, mine. And we didn't do anything to earn it. Forgive us, God. Help us not to hoard grace. Help us to love it so much that we want to give it away for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.